ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. another edition of Hard in the Paint, and it has been too long since me and my next guest have gotten together. Um, this brother and I go back years now, back to the original Hard in the Paint, and even and just uh, conversations about sports, conversations about life. Um, this is my brother from another, Brian Bienemy, and I'm glad to have him back. B, welcome back to the, to the pod, man. Appreciate your family. Always good to get with you. You know, we got to start with the uh, breaking news with the New Orleans Saints, and that's the trade of uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson to Philly. Saints get, you know, a fifth-rounder next year and a conditional sixth-rounder in 2024. They give up C.J. Gardner-Johnson and a seventh-rounder this year. Um, for, let's just start with the practical part of it, the on-the-field stuff. I don't see this as a major problem for the Saints. A year ago, if, if you told me that they were trading C.J. Gardner-Johnson – we're in a whole different situation because we had no idea what the secondary was like. You come back this season, you have depth at the secondary at, at every level, at the, the corner position and the safety position. You paid for veterans in May and Matthew. You have slot players who can do the job uh, adequately at the very least. And you have a guy in Paul Adebo who has taken leaps and, and bounds as far as it looks like with his development. And you have players to pay particularly Marcus Davenport, and you got to look at that offensive line and retaining some of those veterans that you have in Eric McCoy, who's going to be up for some money and things like that. I I, I see it as as a football move. It, it was the move to make. Yeah, no doubt. And I think also you drafted Elante Taylor in the second round for a reason. You know, you're not keeping that guy on the bench if you pick, you know, take him in the second round. Of course, we have Bradley Roby. They traded a third round pick for him. He can also play in a slot. And most importantly, Chauncey Gunner Johnson has came on record saying he wants to be the highest paid at his position where you're not doing that. And it's almost like the Jimmy Graham situation all over again. He wants to be paid as a safety when you're a slot corner. But it's not going to happen. And we saw what happened with Jimmy. He got his money, but then he was gone like, you know, five minutes later. So for me, I agree with you. I think on the field, it's not it's a no brainer for the Orleans Saints. We have guys that can fill. Now, the emotional part of it, you might miss because, I mean, let's call it what it is. He's a you know, he's a he's a crap starter. You know, he's a motivational dude. You know, he's a fiery guy. And you might miss that, but you have guys on the roster that can replace that. What you do not have is the ability to pay him that kind of money when it's either him or Eric McCoy. Or Marcus Davenport. Correct. You know, uh, and, and quite frankly, you know, Cam Jordan, this, this could, I mean, we got a lot out of Cam Jordan over the last third of the season last year. But how many more times can Cam do that? You know, like, let's just be realistic. He's in his 30s. He is on the back end of his career. So getting Davenport is essential. You have to have elite pass rushers. And Davenport knows his value. He knows that on the market, he's worth a lot. When you see guys like Trey Flowers still getting money in the market, Marcus Davenport knows there's not a single edge rusher on the Saints defensive line like him. No, not at all, because once it I means his only problem has been health. When he's on the field, he's a monster. And I, I actually think the NFL should create a, a new a new stat, almost assist, because the guy's taking up three and four blockers, and that allows everyone else to get through. So I think sometimes when he doesn't get the sack and get credit for it, doesn't mean he wasn't impacting that play, because when you're getting double and triple team, he has the speed, the power, you know, the ability to get upfield. I mean, that you can't buy that, especially in a young guy. And as you say, Cam is getting, you know, older. And we still don't know what we have in Peyton Turner, so you can't count on him to fill that void. They have to pay Davenport. The the locker room part, you talk about the presence. 
I think that's something that can be made up too. Yeah, you have a shit starter and you want to have a guy. Everybody wants edge, but that's why you brought back the Honey Badger to New Orleans. Mm -hmm. That's why you still have um, guys like Paul Sotodimo, Demario Davis, Cam Jordan. You've got leaders on this defense You to me, and you have leadership in that locker room, and your head coach is a guy who knows and is in tune with that defense in particular. It seems to me, again, there's no void there. It, it's this is the Saints have never had a problem getting up for games. That's not been an issue for this franchise over the last 15 years, getting up for games. So I don't see a, a lack then of leadership. What you might get actually is a few fewer penalties at certain times over the course of a season. And I still think with or without him, this is a top five defense. On top of that, you don't have the part of the locker room that nobody wants to talk about, and that's CJ becoming a malcontent. And I, you know, it's kind of quite as it's kept. He kind of started to kind of want to do his own thing because he wanted to get paid. He kind of held out a little bit. So I mean, at this point, you know, I think the Saints had no other choice but to say, "Oh, really? Oh, you think we need you? No, we like having you around, but we do not need you. So let's show you. Not only do we not need you, we don't even need to give up much to get rid of you. So and now the the biggest part for CJ is you're not expected to be a full time safety, which you are not in the NFL. In college, maybe. In the NFL, that's not you, Bubba. So from here on out, you have to be a full-time safety. And Philadelphia fans, if you thought New Orleans Saints fans were bad, Philly fans are going to give him everything he could ask for, especially the first time he blows the coverage. And he will. And I mean, you know, people say, well, why would you send him to Philly? Why don't you send him to the AFC? That has never been a concern for the Saints either. I have never seen Mickey Loomis worried about where he sends somebody because he his concern is about his own roster. And if he's built the roster properly, whoever you play, you're going to have to beat him. If somebody's yeah. good, you're going to have to beat him eventually. And I think we also financially, when people talk about, I, you know, I saw some comments where people talk, uh, particularly a guy that, that we'll, we'll mention, I guess we just say his initials, JD, talking about the Saints <laughs> being cash strapped. We need to stop saying that because the Saints maneuver the cap every year. They're not cash strapped. What they are is, is cap conscious. And we have to, uh, we've seen Kai Hartley make these maneuvers and manage the cap over the years. So put your trust again in, in, in him and Mickey Loomis to make the moves that are necessary to keep the Saints flexible. I hate pocket watches, especially like the one that we're talking about now, you know, in referencing to, because the reality of it is that if the Saints wanted to pay him, they would have found the money to pay him. Whether they had to stagger the contract, whether they had to give him a little bit more upfront and kind of, you know, make the back end lighter. Whatever they had to do if they wanted to keep him, they would have. We've seen that over the years. The New Orleans Saints made Drew Brees wait. Do you think they were cap-strapped then? They gave Jimmy Graham a contract and sent him out five minutes later. Same thing with Junior Gillette. Jarius Bird, highest paid safety. They make moves. And when they want to pay you, they did not want to pay him. He was not worth the money he was asking for. They had depth at the position. They shipped him out, got a little bit of compensation, which they'll probably use to flip and get a better player. I mean, the Saints aren't hurting for players back there, and they even have a guy they can sign right now with Justin Evans if they keep him on a 53 that played very well in the preseason. He's a former high draft pick that can play that same role. The Saints aren't hurting for a nickel slot corner. No, I just don't – you don't bend your defense for that. You just don't no. bend your, your, your pocketbook for that. Let's talk about, you know, the with fans and their reaction. We know Saints fans in general are not the, are very emotional, not a, a very rational yeah. at times. And I, and look, and I, I think you got to divorce emotion from these types of things and look at what's best for the team all the time. You can't fall in love with any player, particularly in the NFL, because guys' career spans are so short. There is always going to be a time outside of the star quarterback where every player is considered expendable. 
I never fall in love with any player. My, you know, I support the New Orleans Saints. I, I support the Saints, not the not particular players. You want to talk about NBA? A little bit different because one player can truly make the difference. But in the NFL, I support the team. That's why they have 53 of those guys out there, and they're very expendable. So for me, I, I've always said I'm going to support the team, not the player, because once the player is gone, I could care less what the hell happens to him. I mean, you know, I wish you well, just not against us. Right. It, it's not a personal beef. But you're talking about, look, look, it's the job and you're wanting team success, individual success. It, I mean, quite frankly, let's put it like this. If Michael Thomas could never come back and play again, if he was injured to that point and other guys, Chris Olave, Jar- Jarvis Landry, they stepped up in his place and did well, we would forget Michael Thomas's name in a heartbeat. Quickly. As fans, as reporters, everybody, we, we would we'd just say, hey, remember when Michael Thomas was really good? It's the same thing we did with Jimmy uh, Graham. Like you said, once he was gone, you moved on. And once it, you know, it, there was there were guys who filled the role. And as long as the team wins, you will forget the names of those guys. There are certain players, of course, Hall of Famers you miss. But well, the Saints traded Willie Rofe, and you got Joe Horner. You know, I mean, you know, you, you traded Willie Rofe, you got and, and uh, to Kansas City. As much as we loved Willie, it, it didn't make the difference. It didn't change the fortunes of the team dramatically to lose him. There is, like you said, in a 53-man roster, one guy cannot stop the show. No, and, and, and it won't. I mean, we all love Demario Davis. He's about a year or so away from being gone himself. You know, and that's just the nature of the NFL. That's why the league is what it is, and that's why it's so popular because you typically are – one moment away from being either the best team in the league or the worst team in the league. And that's why the parody matters to them. You know, one guy, you know, of course you ship him out, you replace him. And as you said, nobody even cares anymore. We've had Drew Brees no longer even a factor. If nobody says Brees' name, we'll be fine because Jameis is going to go up there and put up Powerball numbers. So we'll be fine. And I mean, the comparisons are going to be there, but it's not like Jameis is going to lose sleep because somebody said Drew Brees. He's going to put up numbers in his own right. The Saints are going to win. Everybody's going to hoot at and high five. Get over yourselves. A player got traded. Big damn deal. I think this, you know, to talk about Jameis for a second, um, I think Jameis has done an outstanding job in the year plus since he's taken over as the starting quarterback, even while he was injured. Um, You know, my thought has been this is no longer the eat the dub guy. This is a much different young man who has figured out his place in the league, has figured out what it takes to be a professional and has embraced that. And you see his teammates have embraced him. You had a guy who went out with 14 touchdowns and three picks when he went, when he was hurt last year, 14 touchdowns and three picks. And that was with all the handcuffs you could possibly put on the man playing that position, having not enough receivers, having a a coach that didn't trust him enough to open up the playbook and still, and, you know, not having a consistent offensive line. None of those things were available to him. And the Saints were in position to be one of the top two teams in the NFC when he goes down. Without his injury, they're clearly a playoff team. You bring him back this year with all of these things. Like you said, you're not asking Jameis to put up 45 touchdown passes, but he certainly could this year with this offense. If he puts up 30 touchdown passes, keeps it to 10 interceptions or under, this is a, this is easily a double-digit win team. Well, here's the, the biggest problem with that. The things that people are comparing Jameis to is a guy that never really had the, the foundation that he now has. This is his third year in the New Orleans Saints system. Third year. He's never had that in his entire career. I'm not saying on his professional career. No, his entire career from college, high school, pros. This is the first time he's been in the same system for multiple years. And I, I actually like the idea that Jameis kind of has this chip on his shoulder because, as you stated, last year, 14-3. and three, 
you don't sneeze at those numbers, especially because it was you and I playing wide receiver for him. So you add that, couple to the, all of the uh, things you, you mentioned, and the fact that there are many, and I mean many, I'd love to be able to name names in this situation, that do not want to see this man succeed. And I don't just mean the fans. I mean media mm-hmm. do not want to see him succeed simply because of the color of his skin. That is a problem for me. And one day, probably in the very near future, I'm going to name names because they sicken me. The guy has did what he's supposed to do. He's paid his due, but there's nothing more than a racist white man loves to bring up than your past. And everybody has one. Everybody's got one. And look, I I, I was as critical of Jameis as anybody when he, when he made mistakes. And mm-hmm. he should have, he should had to grow up. And I, exactly. I, I, you know, and I think that he has matured. I think he understands that he did a lot of dumb stuff when he was young. Um, but he doesn't seem like the same guy. And I don't think his teammates would gravitate to him the same way. They have promoted him as leader going back to when Breeze was still on the team. Before mm-hmm. Breeze retired, Jameis had a foothold in that locker room. And when you see the receivers going back to last year when the competition was going on, who did the receivers go hang out with and practice with during this offseason? It wasn't yep. Taysom Hill. They were with Jameis. When they, you, this offseason, who's Jameis? Again, everybody's with Jameis. You know, yeah. the, the understanding from that team is this is the guy who has to carry us to where we need to be. You look at all the – again, you would talk about intangibles – Okay, we could do that. But you gave Matthew Stafford, a guy who did very much the same kind of course over his career as Jameis Winston, all the numbers you could want, picks in the wrong situations, didn't win any playoff games, didn't take his team to where he thought it would be, and he had Calvin Johnson with him. Yeah, He had Calvin Johnson over there. You, The slack that you gave him as a number one pick, why are you not willing to give that to Jameis Winston? And we know why that is, because statistically – there ain't a lot of difference between the two in their early parts of their careers. There's not a lot of difference between Jameis and Peyton Manning's first five, six, seven, eight mm-hmm. years of his career. So, you know, people can say, well, he's not Peyton Manning. You didn't think Peyton Manning was Peyton Manning at that point. You That's know, this a was a guy point. that you thought was that was a choker. This was a guy that couldn't get out the first round of the playoffs. This was a guy who had led the interception NFL interceptions three times already. So tell me, what's the difference? There's only one difference I can think of. I mean, uh, uh, that, that's about it. Uh, other than that, you know, th- there's no difference in between the two, even when it comes to Breeze. People look at Drew Breeze, the Hall of Famer that he became under Sean Payton. They forget all about that guy in San Diego that got benched for Doug Flutie, that, you know, the, the, the Chargers basically couldn't break their neck fast enough to get Phillip Rivers in there. I mean, Drew Breeze was not the Hall of Famer that we all know and love now. At one time, Drew Breeze was considered a bust, even as a second-round pick, because he had LaDamon Thompson, he had Antonio Gates, and he still couldn't get it done. So, I mean, I think people are really hard on Jameis based on goofball mistakes as an immature guy and who now is a married man with a family, you know, who's been in the same system three years, loved by his teammates. I saw Ty Montgomery make a quote to, I believe, the New England paper on who's his best teammate. He said Jameis Winston. This is a guy that's played with Aaron Rodgers and a bunch of other guys. That says a lot about Jameis. I think it does. And I look at this, and I think um... – you know, one of the other contra- contrasts you look at is this is the first training camp and first season under Dennis Allen. And I know people, like, again, with fans who think that Sean Payton somehow betrayed you, um, let that go. He was here for a decade and a half, gave you a Super Bowl championship. If he wants to go coach somewhere else, he's earned that right. And quite frankly, I think, you know, this. there are very few situations where those things end well. It was going to either end badly, you know what I mean? I think it was, you know, at some point, Sean Payton was going to one out just for life. 
or the, the team was going to fall into a situation where it started losing. And that's just that's the nature of the NFL. So to me, to get Dennis Allen in there and to see that there's a noticeable difference in how things are being run. I think that there's a different a level of accessibility. I think there's a different level of, of um, giving the players ownership uh, of, of their of their of their positions. And, and, and in the offense in particular, I think Pete Car- Carmichael will get to spread some wings and get to add some things that he didn't get to do in previous years. We're going to see whether or not I mean, the transition had to come. And I think Dennis Allen, whether or not you think he was the best choice, has certainly shown that he's not trying to copy Sean Payton. Yeah, well, let's call it what it is. Sean Payton checked out about two years ago. The, the season in which Breeze retired, Sean Payton was going to go with him. So those two were going to be like a package deal. They were both going to be out the door. I'm sorry, even the season before that, when Breeze was thinking of retiring, I believe that was the year Russell Wilson gave up his Pro Bowl starting spot for Breeze. I want to say that was like 2019. Russell Wilson gives up his Pro Bowl spot for Breeze because it was supposed to be his last go-round. All of a sudden, Tom Brady's supposed to come into the fold. Now, all of a sudden, Captain America, a.k.a. Drew Breeze, wants to be back on the team. Well, it kind of hurt the team a lot more than it helped. Then he leaves, and of course, Sean Payton wants to walk out the door with him. Didn't happen that way. That being said, it's exactly what you alluded to. Sean was going to check out one way or the other. Either he was going to do it then, do it now, or a year from now, the team would have just stopped listening to him because his message got stale. Dennis Allen doesn't have that problem. Brand new guy. And now Pete Garmichael as well. We get to see who was the brains of the operation because Pete hasn't even gotten a sniff as a head coach because everybody's under the dictator that is Sean Payton. Now you don't have that issue. So everybody can kind of spread their wings a little bit and show, you know what? It wasn't that guy. It was us. And if we're being really honest, over the last four years or so, it's been Dennis Allen and that defense carrying the New Orleans Saints. Absolutely. The, the the offense lost those playoff games. I mean, folks, folks could, you know, folks still want to do the fumble and talk about that fumble. But Drew Brees was the reason you lost a lot of those playoff games. I mean, let's, let's just be horrible. honest. Let's he be, was horrible in that game. You know, it, when when the defense knows you can't throw, when they know that downfield is not an option for you, especially that Tampa defense that year. In the playoffs, mm-hmm. which was had gotten its pass rush together and its secondary was playing at an elite level at that point. When, and you saw that defense carried that Tampa team through the postseason. It wasn't Tom Brady yeah. in offense that carried Tampa to that Super Bowl. It was the defense that did that job. Levi, the, I think the linebackers should have been the MVP of the Super Bowl, not Tom yeah. Brady. But you look at that, and, and I think you're right. The Saints – have been a defensive team for the last four years. They've been top five defensively, and it's been the offense in the postseason that's let them down. It was the offense that didn't score the first half against Minnesota. It was the offense that threw the ball away, uh, even after you have the 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 the, the no call, the no no call. Is the offense that throws an interception on the first possession of overtime and gives the ball right back to the to the Rams. It's the offense that didn't score against Minnesota in the Superdome. It's those were the problems. It's it has not been the defense's failure to do its job. Absolutely. And as you said, when when the defense knows Breeze can't throw the ball 15 yards without his arm falling off, you can play up. And that's exactly what they did. But it's been Dennis Allison's defense. And I I get into it with so many people via the social media sites because they don't want to accept that their Lord and Savior, Drew Breeze, was the reason why they lost those games. Same with Sean Payton. You know, the offense was the problem in those games, because if a defense can hold you to in the playoffs to 20 points and the offense can't put up 24 that's an issue. And Breeze and the offense struggle to even do that. And we saw that it's 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 not the first time at the end of Brett Favre's career. The last five or six seasons he had with Green Bay, he was an interception machine in the playoffs. 
He couldn't put up points against mediocre teams that they should have beaten. Probably the Packers should have beaten. This is what happens to old quarterbacks. This is what happened with with, with uh, Peyton Manning, who had to be carried by a defense to the Super Bowl. It's it. This is just what happens, and it, just because it's Drew Brees doesn't mean that he's exempt from that criticism. And I would say Sean Payton isn't exempt from criticism, as you said either, because I think as good as they both were for each other. They were both each other's worst enablers for their bad habits in that Sean Payton allowed Drew Brees to check out of running plays when they should have been running the ball more in games to hold on to leads. I think that, you know, Sean Payton also at times wanted to prove again, he got into pissing contests with other head coaches about who could be the better play caller in the middle of games when that wasn't necessary. When you just had to do keep moving the chains, he wanted to make sure that it looked, you know, that he that it looked like he was still a genius. That's the difference between I think, you know, ultimately with a Bill Belichick and some of these other guys, Bill Belichick ain't trying to look like a genius. He's just trying to get genius results. And I think yeah. that that's the big difference. Sean Payton at times his ego wrote checks that his ass couldn't cash. Absolutely, especially when you think about it, he wanted these disasparted moments when he wanted Brees to go out on the shield, and that ain't what the hell is happening. You know in the playoffs, Jameis was the better quarterback. The one play Jameis comes in, boom, touchdown, Saints are up, everybody's hooting and high-fiving. Then you let Brees go out there and chuck it all over the place when I believe he started the game, I want to say it was like one for nine. Like, what the hell are we doing here? Like, we know who's the better quarterback. Put the guy in who can help you, go to the next game, and let's see what happens then. Sean Payton couldn't do it. He allowed Brees to go out on his sword. And now, you you know, Sean's gone, trying to weasel his way to Miami. Drew Brees is now, you know, somewhere trying to you know, get his hair plugs replaced. And, of course, man, you know, we, we're now a new New Orleans Saints team under Dennis Allen. The question is going to be, what does it do to Sean Andrews' legacy? If Jameis and Dennis Allen are able to put up not one, but maybe multiple, you know, Super Bowls, when everybody kind of saw this coming. Even if they get to one. Yeah. If they get to one. Because that's all the Saints got to, you know, look, Saints, Saints played in what? Three what? NFC championship games in 15 years. Yep. That's it. Three NFC championship games in 15 years under Drew Brees. That's 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 great success, of course. Hey, look, compared to what we lived through when we were young, take it. But right. at the same time, the expectation once you got to that first one in year two was that there would be repeated ones. And from 2010 on, you got to one NFC championship game. From 2010 on, one. And you lost a lot of home playoff games in that span, too. So it's the, the, we have to not, you know, overstate what that legacy is. It was very good, but it did not reach its full potential. And there are multiple reasons. And it's not just because, you know, people will say those years where they wasted Drew's prime with the bad defense. Well, when they gave him an elite defense at the end and he had to be a game manager he proved that he was not willing to do that at times when it was necessary. No, I also think that, you know, he kind of let his ego get in the way because we had Teddy Bridgewater going. He rushed back from that. Jameis yep. is going. Nope. Can't have that. Taysom, you know, Taysom is the only guy he kind of acquiesced to, but I think there was no threat there. He knew Taysom couldn't play quarterback. <laughs> I mean, you, we saw him on the sidelines telling Jameis, this is your team now. You don't do that for a guy that, you know, that you believe, you know, is not the guy. So, I mean, Drew, that's the only guy he didn't feel threatened by because we know Taysom can't play quarterback. So anybody that was a threat, Drew didn't like it. And, you know, not that he was a bad teammate, but he definitely made sure he was, you know, at the forefront. In this situation, man, I I'm all in on Jameis. I think he's going to do great. And with the weapons that he has, as long as he doesn't come in from under center or try to be a hero, Jameis is going to win 11, 13, you know, between 11 and 13 games. I mean, he Easily. look at look. It was number one in the red zone last year when he went down, uh, and like you said, they they can only be better offensively. You, your number one receiver last year 
had only 40-something catches in Deontay Hardy. Now he's your fifth receiver. He's mm-hmm. your fifth receiver. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, just you stack that talent in this completely different way. Um, I think, you know, the, the the question for the offense, number one is the line. Can they be healthy? Because yeah. it's Trevor Penning injury. Let's get your reaction to that. Trevor Penning uh, going down and how do they replace him? I think luckily for them, he wasn't counted on to be the start. They're going to go with James Hurst no matter what. Now, what you what you get with, with Trevor, Penning, um, Trevor Penning, excuse me, going down is, he loses those reps to become the new guy. You know, he, he he doesn't get the practice snaps, doesn't get the reps to get better, and, of course, eventually take over for James Hurst. So you lose that. You lose that jumbo package that they like to run when they kind of put an extra lineman in there. You lose all of those snaps. But I think short term, they'll be fine. Not to mention that, it, it's depending on how he comes back from the surgery, he should be back six to eight week-ish. So he'll still get a chance to kind of come. I think it's going to de- depend on what happens now. If they put him on IR now, he can come back, I believe, in four weeks. I'm sorry, after the final roster is, you know, when I say the final roster will be done sometime this weekend, mm-hmm. when the final roster is complete, he'll be able to go on IR, come back in about four to six weeks, which is right around the time for his surgery anyway. And luckily for the New Orleans Saints, for the, the, you know, the first five games of NFC opponents, if you come out to a 5-0 and start, you can just have Hurst hold it down. Then you get pinning, you know, you get pinning back after you come back from London. That's an added bonus. That's like throwing, a, you know, an extra monster in, in you know, when, when you didn't even know you were getting it. I love what's going to happen if they can kind of hold him off, redshirt him a little bit, and then let him come out there and be the guy. And I think it's going to take him about maybe two to three years to even find out that he's the best life tackle in football. How worried are you about um, bouncing back for guys like Ramchek, who had a down year by his standards last year, McCoy, who was, you know, nicked up a little bit last year, um, Cesar Ruiz, who is in a do-or-die situation as far as I'm concerned, uh, who has not lived up to, to his drafts position um, as a first-rounder at either center or guard. And then, of course, you have Andrews Pete, who is always a step away Andrews from Pete. being on yeah. injury, Pete. So yeah. um, what, do you, what do you think there just as far as their depth? Are they strong enough to, to get depth-wise through this season? I don't think they're strong enough to sustain long-term injuries. So if it's going to be a, a couple of weeks here and there, a groin pull, something like that, I think they'll be fine. You know, you can throw a Throck Morton up in there. You can kind of, mm-hmm. you know, weasel your way in with a few linemen here and there with some of the younger guys like they have, like a Landon Young. You know, if these guys or, you know, if these guys are guys that you can kind of plug in a little bit and say, you know what, give us a couple of snaps, you know, for, you know, give us a couple of games until this guy gets healthy and we're good. Now, if you lose Ram for, you know, six to eight weeks, then you have a problem because B can't hold it down by himself. He's always a guy that goes out. Cesar Ruiz, honestly, to be he hasn't looked that bad in preseason, but it's also a preseason. So, I mean, he looks like he kind of is getting in, you know, and as long as McCoy, who's fairly healthy throughout his career, can stay healthy, I think they'll be fine if it's short-term injuries. Long-term, they're done. Um, let's talk about uh, Ian Book, who finally got released. You've been waiting for Thank this. You, Jesus. Look. Folks needed to understand, look, for the, the NFL, this is a league where two quarterbacks is what teams carry. Two court, it's, it changed a while back, and you have Jameis, and you have Andy Dalton, and quite frankly, you still have Taysom as your emergency quarterback because mm-hmm. you can take him, and he's not that much bigger than he was before. You still go, and you're gonna run a limited package with him if you have to put him in. So you have your emergency quarterback. If Ian Book is on, a, is gonna be around, put him on a practice squad and let him try to figure out there. But he has no position on a 53 man roster. I don't even want him on a practice squad, to be honest, because I personally, I mean, I'm not a talent evaluator, but just me being, you know, being around the game, covering the Saints up close, 
I don't see anything that warrants him even being around. You can give that spot to someone else. You can find another quarterback, whether that be a rookie, whether that be somebody that was cut. Your Lions just cut somebody, uh, Blau. I, I actually thought he played pretty well. I'm surprised he got cut, but they're only keeping two. I'm sorry, no, they only kept one. I believe Goff is the only quarterback on the roster, so they may be looking to you know add a quarterback here. But, I mean, that being said, I don't think Ian Book has done anything to warrant staying on the roster. Other than he was a fourth-round draft pick in a pet project of Sean Payton, and to be honest, for as great as Sean Payton has been as an offensive play caller, he has yet to develop a quarterback. Like, if, no, it's no. the one thing on his record. That's why I don't think, as of now, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer as a head coach. But I think that can be an argument made should he have been able to get, you know, maybe to another Super Bowl that he is. That being said, Ian Book was a pet project. He Everything that we knew about Ian Book coming out of college is everything we see now. He makes horrible decisions, can't play from the pocket very well, throws off his back foot and, you know, falling back a lot. And he's not going to change that because whenever pressure happens, you resort to whoever you are. That's who Ian Book is. And he doesn't give you anything extraordinary athletically. He doesn't have a giant no. arm. He doesn't have a speed. He's not a big guy. He, you know, the, the thing that people kept saying was that he reminded people physically of Drew Brees. Okay. Because he has a birthmark on his face? Because that's okay. about it. That, that, that's where it stops. That's where it stops. Like, yeah, I never saw the infatuation with him. And again, show me a Notre Dame quarterback that's produced anything in the NFL. Show me one. Not since, not, not since Joe. Not since Joe, yeah. We haven't seen yeah, somebody since Joe Montana, yeah. so um, that's a long time. I mean, it kind of goes, you know, to a testament to Brian Kelly that he was able to win games with that guy because Ian Book is not that guy in the NFL. No, he is not. And I, I, I just didn't understand. You know, well, he played well in the third preseason game. Third preseason game matters not. It matters not. It's it's coaches are uh, they're not judging that for a quarterback. No. They've watched it. They're looking at practice. They're looking at those reps. The game reps for the quarterbacks are the least important. What you're looking for in, the, in, the, in, in preseason, that's more on the linemen. It's more on defenders who know if you know their assignments. Quarterbacks, you just got to not make bad decisions, but you're not winning a job. There's no way you win the job in the games during preseason as a quarterback. I've not seen that happen, really. It's one in practice. That's where the job is won. And the practice that he had was absolutely abysmal because that practice he had against the Green Bay practice told me Packers told me everything I needed to know about Ian Book. I, I, I've never been sold on him, and I don't think he's done anything to kind of change my mind. And I always try to give guys the benefit. In this situation, he's done nothing to change my mind, and I just don't think he's an NFL quarterback. Maybe if he has another three, four years, he could be, you know, maybe a Chase Daniel type to where he bounces around the league as a backup. And quite honestly, it would not surprise me to see Ian Book out of the league in another two years. Might be faster than that. Who knows? <laughs> um, uh, are you seeing any surprises um, with the 53-man roster as we get closer and closer as, with the cutdowns? Who would who, who would uh, be a shock for you to see make the roster and who would be a shock for you to see get uh, released because they're likely to get picked up probably by another team? Well, I think Traquan would be the – I guess he'd be the surprise even though he shouldn't be. I think Traquan Smith might be the surprise cut if he is. At this point, I think, you know, he's never done enough. I mean, being a blocking receiver is nice, but that's about all you are. You've never been able to stay healthy. You're not really the biggest deep threat. You know, you don't really bring that much to the table, and you're not really a special teams player either, so there's no justification there when you can give a guy like Kirk Merritt, you know, those same snaps, and he might be able to produce into something. We know who Traquan is at this point. He's a guy that's not going to stay healthy, and it's going to be limited in his role. I could do better with that spot, you know, maybe keeping an extra defender like maybe a Justin Evans, who I think should have played his way onto the roster by now. I think a guy who I would like to see the roster make the roster that I don't think will is Nifi Sewell. 
He has the NFL pedigree from his bloodline. You know, the Sewell family, they've, you know, made, uh, you know, some bones up in the NFL as being some of those guys that can come in and play. I think he made well enough, you know, kind of getting those first team snaps. He showed well of himself. And not to mention that, but he's a young guy. I think they can develop because, again, DeMario is old. Pete Warner doesn't really stay healthy. And let's be honest, Caden Ellis, uh, John Bostic, and, and Andrew Dowell, they, they haven't done anything to make me say, you know what? Those guys are the future of the NFL at linebacker for the New Orleans Saints. Absolutely. And the Saints are fortunate in the, in the sense that they only play two linebackers at a time. Anyway. Correct. Yeah, they it, play more it, nickel than anything. Yeah, it, yeah, it's just that that has not been um, big for them. Um, Alva Kamara at the running back spot. There's concern again about his discipline and whether or not that gets pushed back up. You thought at one point maybe he might escape some discipline this season and go into next season. I know the Saints aren't in any rush to to act, but with the thing with the, with what came along with the Deshaun Watson incident and the fact that when you look at Alvin, he's on tape. You know, we know he did it. It's not like you can't avoid that he got into some conflict here. Um, do you think that he does face discipline during this season? And if so, how do you feel about the Saints running back depth? I don't think he does. I mean, you know, word on the street is he's going to avoid it this year. So if that truly does happen, then I think they're safe. I think they can try to push it to next year. Right now, they, his lawyers are doing a fantastic job of doing his continuances. And I think both sides are really trying to come to an agreement. And I think now, you know, the, the attorney Busby has been, you know, taken on by the defendant. He's trying to make sure, uh, you know, if, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, he's trying to make sure he kind of gets, you know, his money now. I think that's what it's going to be. They're going to keep pushing this back until they come to an agreement on a number. After that, I think we'll see this go away. Then the league can make a decision. By that time, the season will be over. Alvin will get suspended next season. He'll serve, you know, four or five games, and that'll be that on that. I don't think it's going to happen this year because Alvin and his team have, have done a phenomenal job of getting it pushed back, and I think that's going to continue. Um, as far as the running back depth goes, we know, again, last year he was asked to do things that he shouldn't have been asked to do. 25-plus yeah. carries a game, that is not where he should be. 25 touches, sure. But 25 yeah. carries having to go up the gut um, into the heart of a defense, that's that's not his long-term success, particularly over a 17-game season now. Um, you know, who – is Mark Ingram still viable as the number two or is somebody else going to jump past him in that situation and provide that that support um, as the the more ground and pound type back for the Saints? Now, I think it's Mark's job to lose at this point. Tony Jones Jr. can't stay healthy and he has a real bad fumbling problem himself. Dwayne Washington, for as much as I love his family, uh, I've had a chance to meet them over the years. They're great people, but he's not a guy that's, that they're going to be counting on to run the ball. If anything, we might see the Saints bring in a Kenyon Drake maybe a Philip Lindsay who was cut, or maybe even a Sony Michelle who was also cut. They might bring in one of those guys. I think they're going to give Mark every opportunity to be that number two guy because him and Alvin have that chemistry. And the number three guy is basically just a feeling here and there in case somebody has to go out and tie their shoe. Not going to really matter that much. And as well as, you know, I think they're grooming Merrick to kind of be, you know, one of those Darren Sproles types to where he kind of, you know, he can carry the ball. You also have Taysom that can carry the ball for you. I don't see them, you know, being in dire straits to get another running back in here. I mean, and you still can use Hardy in that kind of role, too. As, Absolutely. As, as He's a, another guy. You know, I, I think you could turn him into a Ty Montgomery type if you had to. You know what I mean? Like, just give me some some bounce to outside. You can run screen passes with him out of the backfield, especially when you put the other three guys up uh, out wide. You could put Deontay yeah. Hardy in the backfield and say, okay, now deal with him. If you put Kamara and Hardy in the backfield together on a, in a screen situation, yeah. <laughs> yo, that could be a problem for a defense. You know, what's crazy that the Saints used to run something like that when they had Darren Sproles and Jimmy Graham. It's like yep. he'd be a tail for him. And I mean, it's 
it's a deadly offense. And I think we're going to see Pete Carmichael kind of hit the rewind button a little bit and open up the offense that can go downfield because they couldn't do it under Drew. Drew had to run that Rich Gannon, Dink and Dunk, you know, death by a thousand cuts offense. Jameis' best weapon is stretching the field, and you have guys that can do it now. I think Mike actually is going to benefit the most with that because you won't be able to double him because, of you know, the slant boy thing is going to be gone with Olave and Landry and, of course, you know, the tight ends playing a role. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, as you say, you still have to deal with Hardy and or Kamara coming out of the backfield. I think it's going to be real tough for, you know, defense to key in on the Saints, and I think that's going to open it up a lot. And if a guy like Hardy's back there, good luck having, a you know, a linebacker or a safety trying to cover him one-on-one. And I feel I still think Juwan Johnson will get more use this year because he and Jameis have a good rapport. And then you talk about Marquez Callaway, who Jameis has always had an affinity for. Um, yes. he, he has loved to throw the ball to Marquez Callaway. And we saw at certain points of the season last year, Marquez started to develop. His physical features still give you a lot to be excited about his size, his speed. You know, and, and like you said, the Saints now have multiple downfield threats who have size before it was Deontay going downfield at five, nine, five, 10. That's not your optimal situation, but you got guys now six, three, six, four, who can stretch the field for you. And you have a big quarterback who can run play action, which also was something that the saints were very hesitant to do with either Taysom Hill or Drew Brees. Absolutely. And I think the biggest part of the saints offense that we're going to see return this year is attacking the middle of the field. When the saints were at their prime, they attack the seams, whether it be with a tight end, you move uh, a guy like Marcus Coaston into the slot, you attack the middle of the field. And once you do that, no safety start to suck in a little bit. That's what opens it up one-on-one for the outside, like Hardy, like Olave, maybe even a Juice Landry to go downfield on you, even a Marcus Callaway, because we've seen him do it. I think that's going to open it up, but they have to first control the middle of the field. And I think that's what they're going to start with first. And that's something Jameis, as long as he's accurate in the middle of the field, and we've seen it in the preseason thus far, we've seen him kind of show examples of it. I think if he can control the middle of the field accurately, the New Orleans Saints offense is going to open up tremendously, and that's going to have a lot of big plays for guys like Olave, Hardy, and Callaway. When I look at this team um, this year, who do you think is the guy up and down this lineup who has the most to prove, and who are the pl- who's the player you're most excited to see this season? That's a great question. I think most to prove is going to be Mike, simply because you know so many people forget what Mike Thomas and who Mike Thomas is when he's healthy. I think Mike has, uh, you know, the most approved in that situation. Got to prove that he can not, not only stay healthy, but return to form and remind everybody who, exactly who he is. As far as uh, who am I most excited to see? Ooh, that's a great one. You know, it, it might be Honey Badger now. Now that he's back in New Orleans playing that free safety, uh, strong safety hybrid nickel role, I want to see if he's going to be able to come back and do what he's done everywhere he's pretty much been, you know, outside of maybe the Houston, Texas, which is, you know, put the team in a position to win 10 games. He's an electrifying player. I mean, absolute game changer, whether it be special teams, a defensive play, uh, you know, kind of rushing a passer and, you know, uh, creating another one of those uh, sack strip fumbles and taking it all away. The New Orleans Saints were best when they were taking the ball away, giving their offense a short field and creating turnovers that, you know, turn it to points themselves. If they can return to that, it'll be because Honey Badger is one of the catalysts, uh, catalysts to that. And I can't wait to see if he can do it. Yeah, they have not had someone who could take the ball away. Marshawn has been good at shutting people down, but he's not an yeah. interception guy. The safeties, Marcus Williams was phenomenal in coverage. We know that, but yeah. didn't get, you know, again, interceptions. The Saints did not get a lot of turnovers the, the, the past few seasons, and that made it difficult for the defense too because they would have to stop drives rather than be able to cut them off with a quick yeah. change of possession. Um, and I think that's what you bring a guy for, like Teron Matthew who has – 
a nose for the ball and always has. It's just known where to be when it's time to make a play. You can't teach that. It's Ed Reed like, you know, you 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 could not yeah. you there's nothing you could do when Ed Reed was on the field. If he decided the ball was his, it was his. And uh, and I think Teron Ter- is very much that way too in generating turnovers and the Saints have not had a player like that since um, he who shall not be named, who is currently residing in prison at this Correct. moment for uh, what he <laughs> has done. So it's, it's yes, it, you know, I, I think it's 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 really exciting for uh, uh, Toronto. I think he's also energized um, to be in a situation now. I think he was absolutely right. He was not ready to deal with New Orleans five years ago. Agreed. Mentally, he couldn't have Agreed. done it. And I think now, knowing where he is in his career. I think now coming back where he's not expected to be a savior, he's not expected to, he's not, he, he is now expected to add something rather than be something. And I, I think that's a great position for him to be in. Absolutely. And I mean, look, it, it's one thing to take the ball away. Toronto is a guy that takes the ball away and also puts points on the boards when he gets it. So I think if the Saints can start flipping the field like that, it, it's only going to be crazy. And, I, and I'm only imagining what the dome is going to be like the first time he makes a big play. I mean, it's going to be absolutely, it, it might, it might be ba- one of those, uh, when, when Beast Quake did it, they kind of, you know, had the Richter, it might be one of those situations, man, to where, you know, he absolutely shuts it down and starts some type of tsunami because, I mean, you know, the Superdome is going to shake when he makes a big play. We saw Keyshawn Johnson is one of the few people that says, look, the Saints are a Super Bowl contender. Um, we've seen them ranked anywhere from top four in the NFL to, you know, people talking about they might, you know, be struggling to, to be at, at, at around eight and nine or nine and eight. When I still look at this team, I look at the NFC and that's the, that's who you're comparing it to. First and foremost is the rest of the NFC. You have so many teams that have their quarterback situations in flux in the NFC. The Saints don't yes. have that problem. You look at a lot of teams that lost their best weapons or had their weapons move around. And you know, Saints don't have that problem in getting their weapons back. Saints getting their kicker back, which cost them yeah. four or five games last season, just not having a good kicker. And they're getting one of the best kickers in the league back. I look at this team, and outside of a Tampa team that I think is regressed, that has regressed from last year, which showed it had regressed last season again, because you don't get shut out at home by a Saints team that was missing as what it was missing if you're not going backwards. Packers have regressed. Seattle has regressed. I don't think the Rams are even as good as they were last year because you lost your left tackle in Andrew Whitworth. You lost your your, uh, one of your receivers in Odell Beckham. You lost some very talented players in L.A., and they went all in and barely got to the Super Bowl. Yeah. I think it, you know. I think the Saints are in position to grab a you know the position to win the division, a very good chance to win the division and be top three in the NFC record wise, if not top five um, in the NFL because the AFC is going to eat itself up. It bothers me when people kind of ignore the New Orleans Saints simply because oh they're in the same division as Tom Brady. Well, if you haven't paid attention, I believe the Saints are like seven and one, nine and one over the last like maybe ten games against Tom Brady and, and, and the, you know in the Buccaneers or just the Buccaneers in general. That being said, we're not even counting the idea that last year they were a playoff team. If not, not for Jameis Winston getting in, Sean Payton. They lost to Carolina and New York because Sean Payton got a little too cute for his own self, and they lost those games. So we're talking about a team that would have made the playoffs last year with uh, I believe fifty six players that that went out at some point or another. The, the, I, I just don't get it. I, I don't understand the need to ignore the New Orleans Saints, but I also love the idea that it's done because it puts the chips on everybody's shoulder, including the fans. So I love it. I just want it to be a little more, a little more reasonable, but you're asking people who their jobs are to say something outlandish in order to, you know, generate popularity or generate, you know, that comic going around. So you have guys that are saying, well, the Saints are going to win seven games. 
well, the Saints don't win just seven games anymore. That, that's been a very long time away. So I think at this point, it's just people understanding that if I say something ridiculous about the New Orleans Saints fan base, the fans are going to make me the most popular person on, on television because they're going to attack me and I'll be everywhere where I want to be. And I think people have grasped that. Um, your expectations for this season uh, record-wise, like you said, they, I, I think we got them somewhere between 11 and 13 feels right to me. Yeah. Somewhere in yeah. between 11 and 13 wins feels right. Um, if everything goes well, maybe they do better than that. But um, I think that's – you know, you, you take those moments where you're going to have some struggle. Every team is going to have it. We, we you account for the injuries. I still think I would say this team wins the NFC South at the very least. Yeah, I think they're NFC South. I think, you know, uh, 12 wins is right around where I think they should be, considering that I think they'll drop a game or two. Maybe they shouldn't. And of course, I think they're going to win a game. Maybe nobody thinks they're going to win. Logistically speaking, I think the harder part of the schedule comes when they start having to make those West Coast trips and come back east. And I think that's going to kind of catch up to them. Almost like the uh, you play London, you come home, and then I think right after the London game, you play the, gosh, you want to say Seattle. You play them at home, and then you start to travel on the road. That can get a little crazy. Yeah, but you play in Seattle with nothing. Yeah, basically, yeah, nothing, yeah. So that's going to be an easier game, but you're playing Seattle at home. The following game, I want to say they travel for that one. And I think that's a lot of games in a short period of time. So logistically speaking, I think that's what's going to catch up to the Saints, and they probably drop a game due to fatigue here and there, but I think 12 and 5 NFC, NFC South winners, of course. And I actually think, depending on once they get into the tournament, it won't surprise me to see the Saints end up in the NFC Championship game because they have that much talent. I mean, I think realistically, it's the Rams, the Saints, and they're going to give you know the Bucks the benefit of the doubt. But I don't see the Cardinals. Clearly, they got a problem over in the, with the Cardinals. I think Philly is a good team, but I don't think Jalen Hurts is better at quarterback than Jameis Winston if they're both playing at their best. And I don't think the Philly defense is diff is better than the Saints defense if they're both playing at their best. And you're not going to see the same problem, I think, with Philly if the Saints end up matching up with them. Dallas is Dallas. They're going to blow it. I, I mean, I mean, you just that's that's the nature of the beast. Dallas is going to blow it at some point. So who are you scared of? I'm not scared of Aaron Rodgers and the Packers anymore. I'm not looking at them. The Saints beat them last year when they had their people. And, and so I, I'm not uh, – now they don't have Devontae Adams over there to be a threat. They don't have as a good a defense as maybe they've had over the last few years. Chicago certainly isn't ready. Detroit certainly isn't ready. Minnesota has, still has the same team that they've been wheeling out yes. the last three years. I'm not worried about Minnesota. So if you're looking at this thing, the Falcons with Marcus Mariota, are you scared of them? Are you scared of Baker Mayfield and the Carolina Panthers? I think the Panthers will be tough. They're, they play people tough. But that's still Baker Mayfield over there. So, I mean, I look up and down the NFC. San Francisco has a great defense, but you're starting Trey Lance, and he's a rookie, basically. So, show, and you had to sign. Clearly, they're not all the way enthused because they had to re-sign Jimmy Garoppolo now. So, right. it tells me who out there in the NFC is that intimidating when you put them up against the Saints. I just don't see it. That's exactly how I feel. Let's take away the Superdome or any, or any other stadium, and you put them on a neutral field. The New Orleans Saints are winning most of the games against the NFC, and I don't think it's even by a close margin. On talent, paper, you know, on paper or whatever like that, talent-wise, Saints are one of the best teams in the NFL. It's not going to take an NFC team that's going to be able to just walk in and say, I can score 30 points on that defense. You're gonna, it's going to take a lot of work with the talent that they have on that side of the ball. So if the Saints, as long as they don't shoot themselves in the foot, it's an easy 12-win season as long as Jameis, you know, kind of stays within himself. Yep. Lastly, I want to let you hit on this. Um, the recall effort at home uh, for Mayor Latoya Cantrell. Look, I, I get all the reasons. 
and I can support him for, 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 the, for the most part. But this is this is starting to become cartoonish in, an, in a very New Orleans way. And we know how these things happen in New Orleans. It's getting cartoonish. It's getting tribalistic. Um, and this is it's, it's becoming it's all it's quickly becoming an embarrassment for the city. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I'll say this for as much as I, I'm not a supporter of hers. And I do believe a lot of this has been brought on by her. You know, mm-hmm. when when the mayor of the city is in a hole in the wall nightclub that the thugs visit, I don't really think that's the place for our mayor to be kind of hanging out at. You know what I'm saying? So, and don't get me wrong, I love visiting those places, but that's for me to do. That's not for the mayor of the city to do. And so I think she brings a lot of it on herself. I also think this is a witch hunt and it's getting a little bit ridiculous to where we have guys going on television faking that they've been beat up by some random criminal who was speeding through. And when you watch the video, if going 10 miles an hour on a New Orleans filled pothole street is speeding, then something's wrong with that picture. I'm sorry. Don't if you want her gone, say you want her gone. Don't stage an incident so you can get on television five to six days later and say, you know what? Some random thug beat me up and it's all the mayor's fault. Oh, by the way, I want to recall her. Dude, if you need TV time, call a camera crew. Everybody wants her gone. You don't have to do that. And I think, as you stated, it's getting cartoonish. It's outlandish at this point. I understand why you want her gone. Mm-hmm. I get it. Just come up with a better way. I mean, you, we I mean all she, want, she's done enough. We want a functional city for New Orleans. You want yes. New Orleans that grows and prospers. And she's made her own mistakes. She's she's had, has enough self-inflicted wounds. But like you said, I have trouble buying that story. When you look at it, first of all, when you call the assailant gentleman, but yes. you call the mayor trash, and I don't see how this is the mayor's responsibility at all. When you say you interjected <laughs> into a situation and talked to somebody on the street, you and I both know it don't matter who it is. I don't know who the person was who, who you're alleging that this did this, but you, anybody you run up to and you yell at on the street, you 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 are putting yourself yes. in a position where that person may respond to you. And you're going to say your appeal is, well, I'm a father. And as a father, you decide to take an ass whooping and get into the field position and go limp. And all you end up with, you telling me a- somebody <laughs> beat you up is one shiner on your well, eye. Well, a well-placed black eye, by the way. A perfectly <laughs> placed. Like, you know, like it was drawn circular. Yes. Right there. It's a per- no jaw. No, no lip. And you talking about somebody who got out their car to whoop on you and all they got was the eye. You got no scratches. You got nothing no. else. None of this. Man, come on. I'm so, yeah. yeah so, you know, something ain't right with that story. Now, I, you know, in, in my younger days, I've been in an altercation or two. I don't think it ends that well. If I got out my car and I just don't see somebody getting up again. This happened at night, allegedly, right? Yes. I don't know people who get out their car at night because somebody yelled at them and said, slow down to start a fight in the middle of the neighborhood. And this dude yes. don't live in, in the hood. Right. I this ain't the lower nine we're talking about. This is this yeah. does not work yeah. that way. Life, you know, this ain't that. It just doesn't, it doesn't pass the smell test of all the stuff, of all the things that I've seen and heard in New Orleans, all the things I have witnessed. This doesn't add up, bro. All yeah. you got to say is I want to out and I'm part of the effort to get out. Stand on your on your on your principle on that. But you don't have to do this because what you're doing, again, is you're damaging the city. You say 
you say that you want to help because you can't be making up this kind of bullshit because I didn't see you don't see it on the camera. And you're telling me that there's no report of it. There's no cop. The police didn't come out and you took an ass whooping in front of your kid. And now you're going to tell people about it. Your, your man, kid and on. your wife. Come you mean on, to tell me your wife didn't do anything. She didn't call the police while you were getting your ass kicked. Come like, on. I'm, I'm sorry. I went so, limp. In for, if I'm worried about my kid, I'm a father. You're a father. Yes. If the somebody last thing gets I'm out the car, I am not going limp. No. When my kid is right there. I don't care if I got to take an ass whooping. I know my kid is there and Correct. something could happen that could endanger my child. What can you do to help your child if you, I went limp. This isn't a civil rights protest, dude. This is an ass whooping in the street. Come exactly. on now. I, I, I've said a lot of things, man. And I, I'm one who doesn't mind, you know, throwing fisticuffs at all. The one thing I'm not going to do is I'm not going to lose a fight in front of my wife or my kids. Just not going to happen. You I might lose kill me. Yeah, you, I might lose it any other time, but I ain't losing that day. You gotta have to kill me. It's just like yeah. when I go back to the Chris Rock and, and, and Will Smith thing. If you slap me on stage in front of my wife and kids on TV and stuff like that, somebody no, no, no. is not going home that night. It's either you it, or me. One of us is going me, home. Reminds me of the old Charlie Murphy bit when he said, you know, back in the day when they slapped you with a glove, you know, people died after that. You know, it was a duel. Something you have to go outside, take 10 paces and spin. You can't do that to me in front of my wife and kid, man. It, no. It's not going to happen. No, I, it just, it's it's New Orleans, bro. It's I, New I, Orleans. <laughs> I, I mean, I, of all things, bro. I mean, of all stories you could have came up with, that was the one. And just, it, it, mm, mm. Yeah. he deserves I, all the smoke he's catching. And he getting national smoke now. Yeah. You got people catching this dude nationally, and I love it. I love it because you yeah. deserve it. You deserve yeah. it. That story deserves yeah. it. <laughs> Play stupid games, win stupid prizes, man. And he's, he's you know, he's number one right now. Hey, and he talking about it. I tried to de-escalate. You escalated. There's no situation yes. if you don't just get your kid out the car, go home, walk in your door, shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. That's all you had to and do. You ain't got to de-escalate nothing. You could have walked in the house and said, you see that asshole was driving too fast up the block. Yeah, baby, yeah. I saw him. I wish they wouldn't do that. Because we've all seen that. But yeah. I ain't trying to fight over that. I ain't yelling at nobody over that. No, and the one thing I'm not going to do late at night in New Orleans, and I... Do, do you understand what happens on the news? Just watch it for a little while. You know, I'm not pulling that stunt. It just seems it seems manufactured to me. It just seems very, so very much so, man. And fake, bro. I just I just hope the city can get it. I mean, you know, I, I'll be honest enough to admit that I've moved away, but that there's a reason why. And part of it is not because of the crime. It's, it's politics. Mm -hmm. New Orleans shoots itself in the foot over and over again. We elect the same goofballs all the time and we expect different results. It's not going to happen until we get somebody in office that really does give a damn about the city. And we haven't found that yet. And people who are going to break up the power structure. Yes. It can't be the same pe money people making the decisions. And those people do not have the, by and large, the interests of the people who make up New Orleans, the best interests of uh, their best interests at heart. You know, we talk about a city now that you can't afford, you can work in, but you can't afford to live in. Come it's on. funny how New Orleans runs into the same problem, no matter the area whether it be politics, sports radio, sports television, or, or whatever field it may be, New Orleans runs into the same problem over and over again, but we're looking for different results. Hey, bro, that, it, that's the word. Man, thank you so much for joining me. I always love talking to you. We don't get to do this enough. We will certainly do it throughout the season at different points. Uh, B, you, you want to tell them, uh, I know you always got change it up Twitter handles. Do you want to give them one more <laughs> give a current one? I, I, I will get I will give it to you guys, but I'll make no promises. It's gonna last past football season. So it is come fly with B. That is B E E and the number four. Come fly with B four. All right, brother. It, yeah. Thank you so much for joining me. 
Um, y'all know how to follow me at DM Grub on Instagram, Twitter, and check out Hard to Paint on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get it. And then, of course, please go visit the store on Redbubble. Get some get some merch, man. I got some good looking stuff out there. I'm telling you, um, uh, go check it out as well. Uh, just look up Hard to Paint on Redbubble, and a new another store will be popping up shortly uh, on my website hitpwithdg.com. Until the next time, for Brian Bienemy, I am David Grubb. And this is the hard to take. Talk to you soon.